This morning we're going to be talking about prayer, an expression, uh, our expressions of the heart for all men, where we we realize that prayer, though it's very much an intimate thing, a personal thing for each one of us, uh, prayer is something that we use as a tool, not only to call upon God to minister our needs, our specific needs, our desires, our struggles, uh, our situations, whether it be illness, whether it be tragedy, whatever's going on in our lives, we use prayer as a vehicle. But prayer is also a tool that we use in order uh, to, to reach the hearts of others in a way that normally we wouldn't be able to. We can pray and we can stand strong against the forces of darkness. We have the ability to bind Satan through prayer and and to thwart his devious plans. And we can pray for for salvation for others. We can pray for deliverance. Uh, we can seek God for, for healing in people's lives. Healing maybe in the life of an unbeliever. And as God is gracious and faithful to touch them, then there is an opportunity for them to bear witness of the greatness and the glory of God, the amazing power of God. So prayer is important. It's significant in our personal lives. It's significant in the life of the church. It's important for fathers to be prayer warriors for their wives and for their, for their, not wi- their wife, not their wives. If you're praying for your wives, I need to talk to you afterwards. But for their wife and for their children. Uh, we, we, we intercede for our children, uh, especially when our children even get older and when they're away from home. We, we want to be prayer warriors for them. And so Paul, as he opens up this second part of his letter to Timothy, he says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made. And notice what he says. He says, for all men. And he uses specific words. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks. And he says, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And so he is specific here in verse 2, because he says, for kings and all who are in authority. And so the word kings there, you could insert presidents or, or, or governors or anyone who are, is in positions of governmental authority or who's over people. And he says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And so he says those prayers of supplication and intercession and giving of thanks, he says they have a, an express purpose. There's something that we want to accomplish through that. He said they're directed specifically to those who are in positions of power, those who are in authority. So that would be anyone who is in authority over my life. But he says, so that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life. Why? He says, because we want to do that in all godliness and reverence. He says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So he he not only talks about prayer, but he talks about the fact that as we're able to live a life of godliness, peaceable and, and, and in reverence, we understand that this is something that 
is acceptable before God our Savior. This is something that He desires in our lives. He doesn't want us to live lives of constant turmoil and unsettledness and and unsureness. God desires to be that stabilizing force in your life and in my life. He reminds us that Christ is that solid rock. He's the firm foundation. We stand upon Him. And He says, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, we know that not all men will be saved, but God desires that. I mean, that's John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever... Now, the whosoever's are the whosoever's. That's, that's all people have the opportunity and the advantage of calling upon the name of the Lord and be, being saved, becoming born-again Christians. And he says he wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. Truth is a rare commodity today. And it's important to understand that when we think in terms of truth, we're talking about the truth of God. So it has a, a divine origin... Truth that emanates from a holy God. So God, remember this, always speaks truth. There is no lie. There's no error with Him. There's no falsehood with Him. But then there's truth historically. We live in a nation that was founded some two, over 200 years ago. And we have a historical heritage, right? And we look at that historical heritage. And there are certain truths and inalienable rights that result from that historical history that we have. But yet we live in a day and a time where there are revisionists that want to change our history. They want to alter our history. Our, our children in public schools and high schools and universities are bombarded with this continuously. And if you don't think that's true, just do some research. You know, when they come home with their history books, look them over. Look and see what they're being taught. And there is a revisionism that's going on, and and it goes to the heart of the truth of what we have been founded upon as a godly nation. And so, he wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I like that. I don't have to go to anyone. I don't have to go to you. I don't have to go to some religious leader when it comes to communicating with Almighty God. I just go to His Son, Jesus Christ. He is my mediator. He is my, my, my advocate. He is my emissary before the throne of God. When I petition Jesus, when I call upon the name of the Lord, when I come to Him in prayer, He immediately has the attention of the Father on my behalf. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that awesome to know that? So if I'm crying out to Jesus, if I'm pleading with Jesus, He is making my case continually before Almighty God. And so my voice in prayer is amplified through Jesus. My prayers go up. They don't bounce off the ceiling as we sometimes feel like they do. They get into the hearing of the Lord Jesus. And then He amplifies that. He gives gives impetus to that. He gives power to that uh, before Almighty God. 
And he says, he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth. Paul has this thing about truth, doesn't he? He talks about it a lot. And he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So in those seven verses, he uses that word truth three times. He's emphasizing this. So what we want to look at this morning as we we just look at these seven verses is we want to understand prayer is what we offer. Prayer is what we offer. Prayer is for whom we offer it. Prayer is why we offer it before God and before others. Prayer is where we offer those petitions before God. And my first pastorate, little country church in southwest Missouri, had a number of exciting and memorable moments in that little church. There were a lot of firsts for Millie and I in that little whitewashed clapboard, non-air-conditioned outdoor facilities. If you don't know what I mean by that, they had an outhouse for a bathroom. There were many prayers that were offered up in those days for help from God to know how to handle the awesome responsibility. And yes, sometimes fearful responsibilities for me as a young pastor, my first pastorate in this very small and yet very wonderful congregation of saints off of Route H connected to Highway 12 following through on a gravel road opening the gate to Gene Pearson's farm because that was the only way you could get you had to drive across his pasture to get to the church but there was one Sunday I remember with great fondness I never will forget this as the worship had ended, it was time for us to begin to pray before we were going to study the Word. And we always had a, a season of prayer. And we would take requests from the congregation. And we would just come before the Lord in prayer. However long that would last was however long it would last. But there was a young boy had been quite unruly during the service, uh, just making all kinds of ruckus. And he would get loud and he was talking a lot. And after a few attempts to quiet the young boy, his father picked him up under his arm and carried him down the center aisle. And with tears and pleading, the young boy turned his attention to the rest of the congregation. And in a slow, southern Missouri drawl, he said, Please, please, you all pray for me right now. I'm in trouble. Now that young boy understood the moment of truth that he was entering into. But he also understood that prayer was something that could possibly work for him in that time of crisis in his life. His dad was carrying him like a sack of potatoes under his arm. I think that there are three important things for us to remember this morning when approaching the topic of prayer. You might want to write these down. Number one, the love of God. That wants the best for us. So when I come and I petition God, I need to know, I need to have confidence that He wants the best for me and for those that I'm praying for. Number two, wisdom of God that knows what is best for us. I can rely on God. He, he knows exactly what I need, when I need it, how it's going to be applied in my life. And, and so 
these two things bring confidence when I come before God in prayer. But thirdly, the power of God can accomplish what you're praying for. Do you believe that this morning? That if I come and I'm seeking God and, and praying according to His will with, with pure motives, that, that He's going to accomplish what I'm praying for. It doesn't always come immediately, right? Some prayers have a, a degree of longevity to them when it comes to God answering. But as Paul continues to exhort Timothy, he reminds him of the importance of prayer. I find it interesting that this reminder to make prayer a priority is, is just, a, just prior to Paul speaking to him about the role of people in the church. How people are going to function in the church. Our various roles of service, responsibility, our giftedness are best understood and implemented through obedient prayer to Jesus. So let's take a moment this morning and let's look at prayer as it is explained by Paul to Timothy, as he gives him this explanation. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 1, prayer that we offer. He says, therefore I exhort, first of all, that, that all supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Paul begins the verse with an exhortation, I exhort first of all. By using these words, Paul places a priority on what he will say from this point on. Everything that follows is going to have this priority. There can be very little doubt of the importance of prayer, right? I like what one of my favorite authors had to say, J. Sidwell Baxter, in regards to prayer. He says, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, even oppose our arguments, and even despise us as a person. But they are helpless against our prayers and petitions that we bring before God on their behalf. So even someone that may hate me and despise me, I can pray for them and they can't stop that. They can't hinder that. So Paul, in this first verse, he uses four important words to describe what it is that we're offering to God. When you look at the various books, and Ian e. Bounds wrote a number of books on prayer. If you've never read any of his books on prayer, I would encourage you to get those. Matter of fact, I think on Amazon Books, you can get a lot of them for free. You can get the Kindle, the digital copies of them. But they're, they're powerful. He was a man who understood the importance and the significance of, of prayer. It is said of Ian e. Bounds that he would rise up at three or four in the morning and that he would pray a minimum of four hours before he began his day. He said if you went into his den or his office, his home office, that there was a rug in front of his desk and he said that it was well worn where his knees had been on that carpet as he was interceding and praying for those tens of thousands of hours, praying for his family, praying for his church, praying for friends and, and other ministers. So often, the word supplication, it occurs 60 times in the authorized version, the King James Version. It's a form of intensified prayer which God 
gives us to help us fervently implore Him in times of not just special needs, but any time. It is to prayer what fire is to incense. Matter of fact, it is that intensity, that supplication and prayer that we see in the Old Testament where it went up as a sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of God. It was as though bowls of prayer were being delivered into the presence of God. So supplication may be more than, than, no more than a cry to God. The word is used by Peter. And he translates it as crying out to God, pleading with God. The same word is used of the cry of the Jews during the Egyptian bondage prior to being delivered. They were crying out. And it says their cries went up into the presence of God. They were supplicating. Sometimes it is a wrestling with God like Jacob when he would not let go of the angel until he blessed him. Do you remember that story? Let me refresh your memory there in Genesis 32. And then Jacob, which means supplanter. That was his name. He was always getting in the way. There were always issues with him. But he was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Or in other words, God prevails or God is with you. For you have struggled with God and with men and you have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the name of that place, Pareo. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. That's supplication. He just wasn't going to let go until there was a blessing from the angel of the Lord. And he was wrestling with God. How many times have you wrestled with God so burdened, so troubled in your spirit about someone or something or some situation in, in in your life and you just you just couldn't stay away from from the presence of God you said lord i just got to keep coming to you lord there needs to be resolution or there needs to be relief lord lift this burden have you been so heavy burdened that you felt like it was going to crush you that's what paul is talking to timothy about when he uses that word supplication We pray, but we pray infrequently. And we pray too shallow. And that's not an indictment against you. That's true of me. Sometimes it's just like I got to get it out of the way. I know I need to pray. I just got to get it out of the way. The meal comes. Good food, good meat, eat meat. Thank you, Jesus. Let's eat, you know. But there are times when God just wants me to come and, and, and He wants me to supplicate. He wants me to rest in His presence. Probably the best example we have in the New Testament is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there and He's agonizing in prayer. 
And as a result of that, Paul picks up on this idea of seeing that, that, that scene being recounted to him of Jesus agonizing to the point he even asked the Father that the cup would pass before him. If, I, if there's any way that I don't have to go to the cross, then, then Lord, please, please let me not have to do that. And yet it was the will of the Father. And he supplicated, he prayed with such intensity that it broke the blood vessels and he was literally sweating blood. But Paul, reminded of that in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. Trust that prayer works. The other word that he uses there in verse 1 is just the word prayer. As I said, a surprising number of Christians never develop a healthy prayer life. Prayer is often reduced to little more than a polite formality before meals or a hasty word at the end of the day or a, or a last resort when they have nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn. And then in desperation, it's like, man, things aren't working out. I need to go to God. This was something that was a quiet constant in the life of Jesus. Jesus prayed a lot. And sometimes he would even be weary of his disciples. And he would come aside from them. He didn't have a life of prayer. He was a life of prayer. And his disciples took note of it and asked him to teach them to pray. Remember that in Luke 11? Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in that, that Lord's Prayer there, there's so many powerful elements. They're saying, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus, well, first of all, you've got to come to the Father. Secondly, you have to share your, your basic needs to Him. But not only that, you have to make sure that you honor Him. But also you want His will to be done on earth as it is already being done in heaven. But He said more importantly, He said, ask Him to forgive you of your sins so that you understand the importance and the significance of forgiving others. This morning, are you holding anything against someone and you need to forgive them? Well, I don't know, Pastor. How would I go about that? Well, you do it through prayer. You go to the Lord in prayer and just say, Lord, I'm asking for you to give me the ability to forgive this person. Lord, take this from me, whether it's bitterness or hurt or anger or frustration. Whatever it is, Lord, just, just take that away. Just remove that from me. If you read on there in Luke 11, from verse 5 on, Jesus 
gives them an example. He says, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed. I cannot rise and and give to you. And I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And so I say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. In other words, you need to you need to be persistent with God in your prayers. In Jesus' response to their request, we can learn two important things about prayer. Prayer requires effort. Do I get an amen? I mean, it takes effort. You've got to work at it. You know, you've got to be persistent. And according to Jesus, it was when prayer is persistent that it's the most effective. And it accomplishes the most. And this idea of prayer requires faith. It requires faith. So effort and faith. Isn't it amazing when you think about faith, we realize that James makes such a powerful, important message clear that faith without works is dead. James says, hey, you can show me your works, but I'm going to show you my faith by what? By my works. In other words, by my efforts. So prayer is something that I have to put effort into. I have to have faith that if I give due diligence to it, that it's going to bring about a result that brings glory to God, but also it brings relief, not only for me, but it can bring relief for others. I was just reminded of this. Millie and I were having a conversation where sometimes we reminisce about old times. And we were just talking about just how many times where the needs seemed so insurmountable. And yet, as we were persistent in prayer, we just kept after it and after it and after it. I remember when I was in Bible college, I had to take... Greek, I had, to, I had to have that. It was a required subject. Languages are not my forte. I, I struggle with language. You know, I struggle with English. I mean, you know, they're just foreign languages, but especially Greek. And a good friend of mine, he's now in heaven. Mark Camp went home to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. But he said, hey, I'll get you through. He said, you've got to have this or you're not going to graduate. And I said, okay. And, and I couldn't tell you how many times... How much fervent prayer and and going in to take exams and and just having faith that that Lord supernaturally I remember I used to take my little Greek New Testament and I'd go to bed at night if I was having a test the next morning I'd put it under my pillow. Just thinking somehow, some way, God supernaturally could make a connection between the the cells in my brain to that particular text because what I had to do the next day in the test, I had to write out the first chapter of 
the Gospel of John in Greek. And I would just put it there and I, I would just make sure that it was just as close to my brain. If I would have had some way to strap that to my head, I probably would have done that. But just praying and, and I would go out that morning to class and I would tell Millie, that, now you've got to pray. You have to pray all day. You have to be fervent in prayer. And I was able to get through that class. I just squeaked by. But you know what? I realized some things through that. That my prayer life prior to that was insufficient. It was only in crisis when, and when the lack of prayer may cost me something that I became so diligent in my prayer. It requires effort. It requires faith. You know, the Bible makes great claims over and over again about the power of prayer. Another word that he uses, we're still in verse 1 if you're wondering. He uses the word intercession. To intercede. We pray because by intuition, our experience brings us to an understanding that the most intimate communion with God comes only through prayer. To intercede. That word literally means to get in the middle of, or to get between some, someone or something. Ask people who have faced tragedy or trial, heartbreak or grief, failure or defeat, loneliness or discrimination. Ask what happened in their souls when they finally fell on their knees and poured out their heart willingly and openly and continually before the Lord. Such people have told me, I can't explain it, but I felt at that moment that God understood everything about me. Somehow he just knew. Others have told me, I felt surrounded by the presence of God. It was as though God just wrapped me up in his arms. One woman said, I felt a comfort and a peace that I had never felt before in my entire 50 years of Christian experience. Paul knew this experience in his own life. Writing to the Christians at Philippi, he said, don't be anxious. Remember, we already talked about this. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which transcends or gets beyond all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a powerful thought to know that when I intercede, when I come to God in that way, that there is a degree of intimacy that begins to take place. And that God now is guarding my heart and my mind. In other words, He's protecting it. We never want to lose sight of the fact that God wants us to be intercessors, not just repeaters. Sometimes I, I pray and I, I realize I'm just being repetitive. Have you ever asked God in your prayer, Lord, teach me new ways to pray? Have you ever done that? Lord, just give me, give me new thoughts. 
Put new things in my heart, Lord. Take me to a, a different place in my prayer. So I'm not just repeating the same things over and over again. Let me illustrate the point. A Christian who attended prayer meeting faithfully always confessed the same things during testimony time. His prayer was seldom varied. O Lord, since we last gathered together, the cobwebs have come between us and Thee. Clear away the cobwebs that we may again see Thy face. One day a brother yelled out in front of the whole congregation, O Lord, just kill the spider. You know, sometimes we need to take it to another level. We pray for the lost. We say, Lord, save them. Well, we already seen right here that God wants all to come to faith. He wants people to get saved, right? Well, maybe we need to pray a little bit differently. Maybe we, that person that we're praying for salvation, we need to look specifically and see what is it that's keeping them from being saved? Is it their possessions? Is it their blindness to the gospel? Is it their worldly possessions, whatever it may be, and begin to pray specifically and say, God, remove this, or Lord, change this, or Lord, intervene here, or Lord, even take something away. Take those things away that keep them from seeing truly who you are and what you're offering. We're almost done with verse 1. What's the last thing that he says? He says, giving thanks to be made for all men. Thanksgiving. What does that mean? What does it mean to be giving thanks? We're all going to have Thanksgiving here in a few weeks. It's going to be here quicker than I thought it was going to be. But it's going to be here. And we're going to maybe have that with our families. We'll prepare a meal. And it's a time of giving thanks. But the word that's used here in the Word of God seems to intimate a gratitude for all the benefits of divine intervention in providence. So the focus immediately goes to God, especially for the general and personal gift of redemption. So when we're giving thanks, when we're saying, Lord, thank you, it should always begin with, Lord, thank you for saving me. I just want to remind myself of that. The very term most in use shows this. It is within it the word keras, which is the grace of God in Christ operating in the soul of a believer as a principle and going back to him to remind him to give gratitude to God. So within thanksgiving is grace or keras, the grace of God. We finally got to verse 2. Prayer for who we offer. For all men is the first object of prayer. The generic expression for male and female alike cannot be restricted to believers. It also includes non-believers such as a king or those who are in authority. That word peaceable refers to an internal composure or amiable attitude. In other words, I'm I'm at peace with, with praying for those who are in positions of power. Do you pray for the president? I didn't say you had to like the president. Do you pray for the president? We are told that we need to pray for those 
who are in positions of authority. Did you ever imagine that if churches and believers were supplicating and, and intercessing and praying with fervorance and giving thanks that the heart of that person that's in power could be changed and transformed, that God somehow could grasp, grasp their heart, get a hold of their heart and take them in a divine direction? rather than in a human direction. But see, that's where the faith comes in. When Obama was president, I used to pray for him every day. And I remember sharing that with a group of pastors, and they said, well, are you a Democrat? I said, no, it has nothing to do with my political affiliation. It has to do with the Word of God. I'm mandated to do that. To pray for those who are in positions of power. Praying that, that if they don't know Christ, that they would get saved. You get a president in office that's not a believer and he gets saved, you watch and see what happens. The transformation that can begin to take place. Peaceable. Gives the ability to be amiable and have the right attitude. The idea of praying for kings or people in authority has a twofold emphasis. It's specific in a, in a way in how we pray because we want to affect the actions of that individual. And second, it reminds believers that God is the ultimate sovereign. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He is over all. And pray for each other. How many of the people in this congregation this morning do you pray for? Do you pray just for family? That's good. I mean, that's a start. Pray for your family. But do you pray for others? And maybe sometimes you go, well, I just, you know, I can't remember their name, but you see their face. That's enough. God, God records that. He knows that. And you're just praying for them. Lord, I don't know what's going on in that person's life, but, but Lord, I just want to bring them before your throne of grace. Lord, I, I just want to pray for mercy and, and, and for your presence and your power and, and for your leading and your directing in their life. Lord, and they have specific needs, Lord. Maybe you can reveal that to me. You can speak to my spirit, Lord, about something specifically that I can pray for them. And you begin to intercede. That's where the intercession begins to take over. I remember a number of years ago, uh, I was losing my sight. And I had been going to specialists. I'd been down to Southern California, to, to UCLA, and they, they'd run tests on my eyes. And they said, well, it just, you know, your, your optic nerve is deteriorating. And I remember just not sharing with anyone and a couple of weeks had gone by and a lady in the church came up to me and, and, and she was new to our fellowship and she came up and she said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And I said, sure. I said, what's going on? And I hadn't shared anything with the church. Nothing. And she said, you know, I, I, I've been praying for I've been interceding for you. And the Lord spoke to me and told me that, that you needed a healing touch in your eyes. And she says, I want to... And she pulled a little vial out of her purse. She had a little 
vial of oil. And she said, I know this sounds crazy. Can I, can I anoint your eyes with oil? I want to lay, I want to pray over your eyes. And I was a little like, oh, well, okay. She said, well, well, can you just sit down here? And I just sat down and she anointed both of my eyes with oil. And she began to pray for me. And as she was praying for me, some others came and, and, and God had been speaking to them. And they began to pray. The end result of that was a month later, I went back and God had healed me. God had touched my eyes. You see, we want to put all these human limitations on the capability of a sovereign and a holy God. There's not anything that you're dealing with today that God is not capable of overcoming, changing, transforming, renewing, rebuilding, making new. Amen? But if we never ask, if we never seek, if we never call, if we're never knocking and saying, Lord, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. But so I'm running to you. I'm going to cry out to you. The third thing is prayer. Why we offer. There are four simple yet extremely important reasons to take the time to offer up prayers for yourself and for others. First of all, it is good. It is good. A lot of times you read prayers in the Bible. And what you will find somewhere in that prayer, especially in the prayers of David, and he will say, and it is good. And it is good. And it is good. The reason that's important is this. You may be engaged in conflict with someone or a group of people. And, and you just feel like they're, they're crushing you. They're squeezing you. And if you bring that situation before God, and you just begin to pray and you believe God and you're trusting God, eventually what you will discover is this. You'll get on the other side of that. And they may not change. They may stay the same, maybe giving you a hard time, making life difficult, but you'll be able to walk around and say, you know what? It's all good. It's good. And some would say, well, how can you say that? Well, because I left it with Him. It's with the Lord now. He knows those people. He knows that situation. He knows their heart. I've given that to Him. It's all good. I'm good because I know that God is in control. Secondly, it is acceptable to God when we offer prayer built into the worship experience of Israel going all the way back to the Exodus and the building of the tabernacle what God wanted more than anything else was for the people to bring themselves acceptably before him just please come and offer yourself to me let me be your God Let me lead you through the wilderness. Let 
let me love you. Let me direct you. Let me guide you. Thirdly, there's no doubt that God wants men to be saved. And then lastly, that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. So, lastly, where do we offer our prayers? Where do you pray? Do you pray when you're driving down the road? Please don't close your eyes for an extended period of time. You can pray. You can pray with your eyes open. But, you know, where, where do you pray? Maybe a better question is, is not where you offer your prayers, but how often are you offering your prayers? I can stand before you this morning and be totally honest with you that I don't pray enough. I've never prayed enough. You know why I say that? Because you can never exhaust the need and the necessity of coming into the presence of God. There's always more that I can offer. There's more that I can pray. There's more that I can seek God about. There's more individuals that I can lift before God. Prayer. Oh, it's such a powerful thing. Because Paul closes out this little section and he says, Yes, I'm a preacher. I'm an apostle. I'm a speaker of truth. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. But one thing that you don't see there, but it's intimated, is this. I'm a man of prayer. I've learned what prayer can do. I believe that's the only reason that Paul was able to survive all of those times of imprisonment. You know, Paul spent one-third of his adult life of ministry, he spent one-third of it in prison, locked up for the gospel. And every one of those experiences, you go to the book of Acts, you can read about this. it's, It's... common knowledge, it's history, it's biblical history. In every one of those situations, what you will find somewhere in that imprisonment you'll find him praying. But more than that, you'll find that many of those prayers and many of those actions when he was imprisoned wasn't about himself but it was about others. Whether it was the Philippian jailer or whoever it was. That was a an understanding that prayer is beneficial not only in my life and in your life, but it is a necessity for us to pray for the lives of others.